Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. During the feast, they would have four cups of wine and, and they would drink those cups. And each time they would drink a cup, they would, they would uh, read from their scripture a different promise of God found in Exodus chapter 6. So if we can put the, Exodus chapter 6 up, this has been our primary passage. And we have highlighted for you the four promises um, regarding the four cups that they would read. Uh, because the Passover meal is celebrating when they came out of Egypt. The, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God spoke to Moses and said, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and the first promise I will bring you out and uh, this is this is the first cup so they would read I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians or under the burden of the Egyptians and then they would drink from that cup and then the second one they would read I will free you from being slaves to them and uh, uh, that's that's that, that's a big promise of God uh, that God wants to not only get us out of Egypt but he wants to get Egypt out of us uh, he wants to remove from us the, the being slaves, the mindset of slavery. So he says, number one, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. But secondly, I'm going to free you from being slaves. And that's the second cup and the second promise. That's the cup of deliverance. And then he says, and I will redeem you. This is what we talked about last week. He said, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. That's the cup of redemption or the promise of God of redemption. And then finally, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This is the fourth cup and this is the cup that I want to talk to you about today. This is the cup that the, that the Jews and the Hebrews call the cup of praise. This is the cup of praise. So the first cup is what we would call the cup of salvation because God brings you out of Egypt. That's salvation when you put your faith in Jesus and begin walking out of spiritual bondage, spiritual darkness. Um, the second cup is a cup of deliverance where God does something inside of you to set you free from, from your past. And then the third cup is a cup of redemption where God puts you back on track to your original purpose. And we talked about that last week that we believe each and every one of you here has a destiny. God has a, a plan for your life, a reason why you were born. And the most exciting thing you can do is figure out what that is and go after it. And so, uh, so we talked about that last week. Um, if, you, if, you didn't, if you weren't here, you can listen to the podcast online. But today I want to talk about the fourth and final cup, which is the cup of praise. Uh, the cup of praise is in, um, is in Hebrew. It's, the, it's, uh, it's called the, the Hillel. And Hallel is where we get the word um, hallelujah. So hallelujah, it, it, is, it means to praise. So hallelujah means praise the Lord and Hallel uh, means to praise. And so today I'm gonna to talk, it's very fitting with Gospel Sunday. We had a lot of, got our, got our praise on. Because uh, I wanna to talk to you about the cup of praise. I wanna to talk to you about uh, the cup of praise that, that God has this, this offer to you. God has this promise to you. Uh, that you can live in praise, that you can live a life, that you can live a Hallel. And so uh, this is our last week of small groups. If you've been a part of our Four Cups small groups, um, I'm excited about the way that, that Chris Hodges breaks this down and he actually gets, gets into some pretty cool things that I'm not gonna steal. Um, but I do wanna challenge you to, to attend one of those small groups, even if you haven't attended any of them, attend this one this week. So at least you can sort of get an overview and, and see the ultimate um, place that God wants to bring you. Ultimately, 
God wants you to live in praise. God wants you to live in Hillel, in a hallelujah, that your life uh, would be a broken hallelujah. Anyway, uh, I just kind of just came to me. Uh, but no, that your life would not be a, just a broken, but an actual praise, something that actually lifts him up. And so, and so just, just to kick that off, let's go to Psalm 95. And uh, there's a reason why we're reading from Psalm 95. We'll get into that in a minute. But in Psalm 95, in verse 1, let's, we're going we're, we're to read the whole Psalm, Psalm 95. There's 11 verses. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. This is the first words in Psalm 95 is, oh, come. It's an invitation. And actually, I don't know if, if you have a, a printed Bible, but in a lot of printed Bibles, they put little titles. It's not part of the Bible. They put little titles over, over different parts of the Bible. And, and the title over this one in my English um, New King James Version says that this Psalm is a call uh, to worship and obedience. And I love that. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what my sermon, what my mini sermon is about today. Uh, worship and obedience. That this is what it means to live a Hallel. This is what it means to live a hallelujah. Is those two things, worship and obedience. He says, and he starts off with, with an invitation. He's calling out to you and to me and to anyone, honestly. He doesn't have any pre-qualifiers. He doesn't have any, any well, if you are a, a perfect person or if you have a perfect past or if you come from a good family. He doesn't make any of those qualifiers. He is, the, the Holy Spirit is just calling out to everyone, saying, come and let us sing to the Lord. And so if you're wondering why we sing in church, that's why, because scripture tells us uh, to sing. Scripture invites us to come into his presence and sing. And this is what he's calling out. He says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout. Uh, even if you're not charismatic, let us shout. Even if you're Baptist, let us shout. Doesn't matter what denomination you come from. This is the word of God. And he's, he's telling us how to praise. He says, let us sing to the Lord and let us shout. By the way, some of your singing sounds like shouting. So, you know, you, you got it down. Some of you all got it down. Uh, let us shout joyfully, joyfully. That's a key, joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. This is, this is an instructional manual uh, for worship. And that's why we sing every Sunday. That's why when we come together in church, that's that's why we sing. Uh, we had we had somebody visit us a while back, and um, uh, their friends had invited them to church, and uh, they asked them afterward how they thought that it went, and they said they said yeah that they, they felt like it was really encouraging, and and that and that the speaker you know shared a, a, a thoughtful thing for them, but but they said that they, they they felt like the concert went a little bit too long in the beginning. <laughs> and uh, we were like, they, and 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 they were like concert? What? No, 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 that wasn't a concert. Like that was that was that was worship. And so they were from a totally different background. They really had never been to a church like ours, and so they just didn't really understand. And I know many of you come from many different backgrounds, and you might get confused. You might think, oh, here's these professional musicians up there, um, and they're putting on this show for us, and then Pastor Harry's going to speak to us. But actually, this is a corporate event. This is not just. One, there's only a couple of us that are actually professionals up here. And two, uh, we're not here to entertain or to put on any kind of concert. This is a corporate event where, where you participate and I participate. And we do this scripture right here. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And he's, he's telling us, yeah, to sing and to shout. But he's explaining a little bit of why. Because God is our rock. 
God is our rock. I, I am thankful that I, that I have found in the midst of a shifting um, sand, a shifting world, God is my rock. You, if, if, if you're here today and your family is your rock, I feel sorry for you. Because you're going to have teenagers someday. <laughs> and that rock's going to turn into gravel, you know what I'm saying? It's just going to go all kinds of ways. If your family is your, if your husband is your rock, I feel sorry for you. Because I am a husband and uh, I know how we are. I, I've been told the same thing a thousand times and I'm still trying to get it. Um, if your wife is your rock, I feel, it, like if, 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 if your government is your rock, I feel sorry for you. Because it's like, it's kind of, it depends on who's in charge and, and just who gets the most votes. And, and I don't know, uh, it, but, but it's not very steady. It's not very stable. If your finances are your rock, I, I feel sorry for you. Because I don't know about you, but my finances are sometimes kind of like this, you know? My finances aren't steady. They're not stable. Uh, there's nothing else in this world I have found that is as solid and as stable and as steady and as faithful as God. There's nothing else in my life. I mean, I had to dig through some dirt to find him. <laughs> but by the time I got down to rock bottom, I figured out that he is the rock at the bottom of everything. He is upholding everything. He is holding together everything in my life and everything in this world. I mean, he is the solid, steady, faithful rock. And this is why the Bible calls him a rock, because of his consistency. Because he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't like me one day and then not like me the next. I've never offended him. I've never, even when I've, even when I've tried, I've never been able to offend him. Much less, half the time I offend people accidentally. But, uh, but it's, like, it's like, you were preaching and I know that you're preaching about me. And I, I wasn't preaching, I didn't know you. What are you talking about? Like, seriously, like, just, no, it's not that big a deal, you know? But, but I've never offended him. He's never looked at me sideways. He, he's, never, he's never wanted to walk out on me. He's never, he's never been flaky on me. He's never promised something and then pulled back. I've been able to count on him and he's the only one that I've been able to count on. Even the most, the, the deepest relationship I have, which is with my wife and with my kids. I, there are some things I can't share with them. There are some things that they don't understand. There are some things I can't even express myself. I just feel it inside of my heart and I can't even get the words out, but he understands what I'm trying to say when I don't even know what to say. He is faithful. He is a rock that I can stand on, that I can rest in. Because when you're on something that's moving all the time, you're always trying to keep your balance. But when you're on something that's firm and solid, you don't have to keep your balance. It balances you. It keeps your balance for you. When I lay on the rock, I have balance in my life. I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not constantly adjusting based on how I see that people maybe are reacting to me. I am standing on Jesus. So he's, he's my rock. I, I, it's a short sermon, so I, I got to keep going. It's 11 verses. Let us, let us shout joyfully with psalms and songs and maybe even Fred Hammond songs. I don't know, but, uh, but any kind of psalms for the Lord. And this is why we're singing for the Lord, verse 3, is a great God and the great king above all gods. He is the great God and the great king above all gods. There's nobody like Jesus. There's never been anybody like Jesus. Nobody can compare to him. He is the great God. And then in verse four, it says, in his hand are the, the deep places of the earth. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. You haven't fallen out of reach 
of his hand, however deep you've fallen, whatever pit you've fallen in, whatever valley you might be walking through, you haven't fallen out of reach because his hand, his hand is even holding that up. He's even the, in the rock, he's the rock underneath the valley, underneath the deepest places. So whatever you're going through, whatever deep thing you might have fallen into, his hand is there and the heights of the hills are his also. He, he owns your prosperity too. He owns your good times too. He owns your joy and your breakthroughs. He's the God, not just of the, 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 the weary wandering you know person who's just trying to make it another day he's the god of somebody who's who's rejoicing and celebrating who's who just got a new car just moved into a new house just just got married i mean he's the god of of the mountains as well the sea is his for he made it it's interesting the, the maker has has ownership rights the maker has ownership rights and this is what we're doing when we come before this is the the constant call of this psalm is come 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 he says it multiple times this is who you're coming to you're coming to the originator to the maker you're coming to the one that started you you know he started everything and he started you he is the author and the finisher of our faith he's he's the maker it's it's good it's good to come to the one because because if if something's broken down you always got to take it back to the maker because if, if, if you don't take it back to the maker, you're not sure how it's going to work. I got my screen fixed from, from some guy on the side of the road in Austin of my, my iPhone. And uh, uh, let, me just, let me just tell you, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not working out too well. It's, it's, best to, it's a little more expensive to go to the maker. It's because, well, I didn't go to Apple. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's not exactly as good. The, when you go to the maker, the maker knows how everything works because he created it to begin with. And so he owns it and he can fix it in his hands, form the dry ground. Oh, come there's the word again come to him come let us worship now this is a whole different thing he initially he says let us praise and now he says let us worship and bow down now when you bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker so he made the heavens and the earth he made the seas he made the the mountains but he also made me and that means god is looking he's looking for a different kind of response from us he says let us worship and bow down so when you when you bow down when you kneel you're acknowledging his authority you're you're coming under him you're saying you're greater god you're greater than me you know more than i do you are stronger than me i I am bowing, I am, I am kneeling. And this is part of worship, by the way. Part of worship is not just celebrating who God is, but it is surrendering to who God is. This is part of what it means to live a life of worship, by the way, is to bend our knee to him. We instantly, immediately become shorter and smaller within our own lives. We immediately allow him to take precedence over us. We immediately allow him to make decisions to make decisions of where we live and where we work and how we raise our family, to make, to make judgment calls on, 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 what we, on, on what we do with our lives. We kneel before him and we, we, we acknowledge his greatness. And we allow him to, to be the Lord, not just, not just the creator, but now he's the, the sustainer and the operator. He gets to be the operator of our lives when we kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then in verse seven, he says, for he is our God. And, I, and I, can see, I can see the psalmist winding down here. He started with this massive view of God. He said, come, let us worship this great God who created the heavens and the earth, all of the great things that he is. He's our rock. He, he's, he's, he owns everything. He holds everything in his hand. He zoomed out, right? He panned out to let us see the universe as far as the, David's imagination could take us. He's, I've told you how big he is, but now I'm going to zoom in to his 
intimate relationship with us. He is our God. He's not just the God. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That means, that means the sheep of his hand. So his hand holds, holds, holds the deep places. His hand holds the mountain, but his hand also holds us. And in his hand, now he's talking about a relationship between a, a sheep and a shepherd. Of course, Psalm 23 deals with this much deep, much more deeply. But, but when you look at a shepherd's hand, you see all the, the scars from the times that he got the barbed wire out from your feet. You see all of the, the calluses that he got as he, as he defended you overnight from the wolves that were trying to get you when you were sleeping. You didn't even know that they were lurking around. And he was watching over you and protecting you and leading you and guiding you. And uh, you, were, you were wandering, because sheep do this, wandering off to the edge of a cliff and you can't see very well because sheep can't see very well. We don't have good perception of what's coming down the road and we were about to fall off a cliff and he brought his staff behind us and grabbed us by the crook of the neck and yanked us away from danger and death. We almost married that guy. You all, you know you did. You know you almost moved there. You know you almost got in the car. You know what I mean? And, and God pulled us back from what would have destroyed us. We see his hand and we see the history of his intimate connection with us, the God of the universe has also been holding us, has also been tending to us and caring for us and taking care of us. He's winding it down and now he brings us to his altar call. David brings us to his altar call at the end of verse seven and he says, today. It's a weird sentence, honestly. He's, he just says today. I like the way the NET though helps explain it. He says, today, if only you would obey him. This is his altar call. This is David's end of the sermon. David has been a bit of a tour guide, right? He's taken us through the halls of God's greatness. He's walked us through the, through the, through, 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 through the entryway of his majesty, entering his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. He's, he's walked us through. He's shown us all that God is, and even right on down into the bedroom where he, is, where he is intimately concerned about us. He's taken us into the house of the king, and he's showed us all of the beauty and splendor of him as much as he could imagine it, and he's, and he's preached his sermon. And man, the dude's been preaching. You know what I mean? He's been preaching. It's been a good sermon. I've said amen a couple of times. And uh, uh, he's going for it. And now he's bringing it to the close. This is his altar call. He says, today. In other words, you can experience him today. You can drink from the cup of praise today. You can live a hallel, a hallelujah today. You can enter into his house and live with him. I'm not like, he's not, he's, he's like, I'm not just taking you on a tour of God's house. I'm taking you on a tour of your potential house. You could live right here in the hand of God today. And then this is the if, if only you would obey. And this is really the key, I think, to much of life. And so that's why I totally agree with David. I love his altar call. I love the fact that he spent seven verses lifting up how awesome God is, showing us the prize, showing us the fourth cup. And then, and the last sentence just said, okay, here's the deal. Obey. This is it. The bridge between your promise and your problem is obedience. That's what connects all of the glory that God is offering you, all of the peace that God is and the joy that God is offering you and the, the fellowship and the nearness of God. The only thing that separates you from his promise is obedience. It's almost like David is just, he's, he's, he, he's walking us through all the glory of God, right? And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, he's backing up and he kind of catches his heel on the step. And he says, okay, yeah, yeah. The way to get up there is obedience. Obedience is the ladder. It is the bridge 
between where you are and where you could be. It is the connection. He says, today, if you would obey. I wonder, man, if you obeyed today, if you obeyed God today, if you obeyed today, whatever that means for you, it's always, always at a different place. We're all at different places. And what he's calling us to do is always looks different and sounds different for each and every one of us. But the key is obedience. The key is to obey today, not tomorrow, not whenever things work out in your life, not whenever you get married, not whenever you get your finances together, but today to obey today will get you where you want to be tomorrow. If you obey, if only you would obey today, obedience today. I, I, I just see David there with his quill and he, he finishes that sentence. He pushes himself back from his desk. He stands up, man, he's done. He's given us the tour. He's given us the altar call. He's out. He's mic drop, you know, he's about to drop it and just, and just come on down to the front and obey today. Come pray, just altar call. It's time to get right with God. Let's obey today. But then as he's, as he's done, as he's finished the tour and he's given us the altar call and he's told us the step, the one step that you need to connect you from where you are right now into this life of praise, where you, where you live under the greatness of God and you live in his hand, and, you, and you, you have nearness with him. He said, man, it's all obedience, just obey. And, he, and, and he's walking out the door, and he's like, hold, hold up a second, I'm getting a, I'm getting a text, I'm getting a, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a message, I'm getting a direct message. And, 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 and ver- he adds another verse, and actually in my Bible, there's like, there's like a couple spaces there. Like, 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 like as they were typing it, like they hit enter, 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 you know, because it's like, it's supposed to be done. Like you think this is done. The psalm is done. The psalm is, is done preached. He's brought us to the altar call. But then all of a sudden he's like, hold up a second. Hold up. I'm getting a text. I'm getting a text. And we go to verse eight and there's a quotation mark. See the quotation. There wasn't a quotation mark before. There's a quotation mark in verse eight. Some translations actually insert the words as he says, uh, God says. So in other words, David's like, he's, he's walking out of the building. He's, he's done the altar call. He's done everything. He thinks it's finished. And he says, hold on, hold on. I'm getting a direct message from God. Now, obviously the previous part has been inspired. God breathed. It's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. But now God is dictating a specific quote. God says, hold up, hold up, David. Sit back down, get your quill. I got something to say. It's not that I don't like your altar call. It's not that I don't agree with your altar call, David. I I like the sermon, but I want to add something. This is directly from God to us, that if we want to cross that bridge, obedience, yeah, obedience is the key. It's true. But God's had some experience with telling people to be obedient. (laughs) And, um, you know, it doesn't really work that well. It's like telling people who are upset to calm down. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't really help. It's like, it, it, he, God says, hold on. He says, it is true. Obedience is the key. But let me tell you how to be obedient. Because God's always trying to create a pathway to redemption, a pathway to relationship for us. So he doesn't just want to say, just, just, just obey, just be obedient. Because he has found in the past, this has not worked. And so he's trying to help us out here. These are the secret tips of how to be obedient. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, what's the rebellion? He goes on to explain, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. What's that? Well, that's when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work for 40 years. I was grieved with that generation and said, they will, uh, what did he say? They will not, I got, I got to pull up my passage here. 
oh, those people go astray in their hearts and they don't know my ways. So I swore in my wrath. Jesus? Yeah, I swore. This is direct message. I'm just letting you, this is Jesus. I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. But it starts, he's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be prohibitive. He's trying to be instructive. That religion tells you to obey and religion just tells you to obey. But when God gets to insert his message at the end of the sermon. What God would say to you today is the way that you do that is to not harden your hearts. Be careful not to harden your heart. And the reason why I picked this passage is because I've been preaching on the four cups from the lives of the Israelites. You know, God spoke to them. They were in slavery in Egypt and God said, I will bring you out. And he did. It was awesome. We read the passage a few weeks ago. God brought them out. He said, I will free you from being slaves to them. And he did. He led them through the Red Sea and totally annihilated that thing that was holding them in bondage. They got to see their past dead and gone. And then he said, I will redeem you. And he did. He put them back on track, put them back on purpose, brought them right up to the edge of the promised land, the land that they were supposed to inherit and take over. And he did that. And then he said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God and you will be my people. And I'm looking for that passage. I'm looking for that. (laughs) Okay, so where is it in the book of Exodus? The truth is, with that generation, I don't believe it happened. Because that generation drank from the first cup, the second cup, the third cup, and then they didn't want to go any further. They, they, They always, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. He said, he said, look, the thing that will stop you from living a life of praise, the thing that will block you is this right here, the, 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 the heart. And there's experience with this because the people of Israel, and I, I've, I've kind of struggled with that because to me, when God promises you something, it's going to happen, right? Like, like you read Exodus chapter six and God, like I'm, I'm a literalist. God didn't, I mean, obviously I see the prophetic implications, for me, but God wasn't writing for me. He was speaking to a specific generation and he told those people, he told those people, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will deliver you and I will take you as my own people. You will become a nation and I will be your God. He told those people, it didn't happen. And so I'm kind of stuck. I'm like, God always fulfills his promises, but here God promised something that didn't happen. But this is what I have come to find out. This is what I've come to believe that God, when it comes to God, his love is is automatic. He loves everybody. He loves everybody the same, but his promises are optional. That just because God promised it to you does not mean that you will receive it. This is not just based off of this scripture. It's actually several stories in the Bible where God promised something to somebody and then they didn't receive it. And I, and I go back and I struggle with that because I'm like, wait a minute, does God not keep his promises? No, God keeps his promises. But, but they're always conditioned on what David said, obedience. That disobedience can stop you from receiving God's promises. Because his promises are predicated on obedience. So, he says, I will take you. But the truth is this generation didn't want to be taken. <laughs> so that's my, that's, that's my question to you today. All right. Have you been taken? Are you taken? Don't turn to your neighbor and, and say that because 
that's awkward. But, but that's my question. Like, have you been taken by God? This is how you enter into the fourth cup. This is how you realize the promises because the promises of God are predicated on our obedience. Every single one of those promises, they had to choose to obey. When he brought them out of Egypt, they had to choose to walk. God's not going to drag you out of Egypt. When they, when they went through, the, when they went through the, the, the Red Sea, they had to choose to step out there and believe that that water wasn't going to fall on them. When they, when, they, when they came up to the promised land, they had to choose to step into the promised land. It was, it was their choice. God never drags us. He never forces. God's a gentleman. He never forces his will on us. He doesn't, he doesn't make us do stuff we don't want to do. This is not how God works. God beckons us. He invites us. He calls us. He woos us. He, he shows off and says, man, look how great it would be. Look at the fruit of just following me. Just check this out. Why? Because he, if, he, if, if he could make you, he would. But he, he has chosen, he's decided that he wants you to want him. Kind of like my wife with the dishes. Anyway, that's a whole other story. She wants me to want to do the dishes. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how you want to do dishes. I'm not sure. I haven't done dishes the whole week and a half she's been gone. Um, there's a stack in the sink, you know what I'm saying? But I've been eating out a lot. So I'm like, you know, my microwave meals don't take up too many dishes. I just, anyway. Um, uh, but this is, this is God. He wants us to desire because he wants a relationship. Because when somebody just loves somebody else, but that person doesn't reciprocate, that's not a relationship. That's not, that's not even healthy. It's not even good. That's a stalker. You know what I'm saying? So God's not a stalker. He's beckoning. He's calling, but he'll never force us. And, 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 and his instruction is the way, the reason why people don't respond to me is they harden their heart. It's like cement. They let it, they let it get set, solid, stuck, not moving. This is who I am. This is the way I, way I am. This is the way I was. This is, if you die the way you were born, you have a hard heart. <laughs> This is the way I am, and this is the way I'll always be. That's unfortunate, because that's a hard heart. That's a cement. Like, you're not willing to grow, not willing to change, not willing to get closer to God. And so, just in closing, I want to talk about the four kinds of people in this world, because in this room, we have four kinds of people here today, and you deal with different things. You are driven by different things. Uh, the, first, the, the, the first kind of person uh, here today on the sea of life would be the drifter. I talked about this one other time, but I'm going to explain a little more would be the drifters. Some of you just drifted in here today. Um, we love drifters. It's all good. We, you're, just, you, you're a floater. Actually, I think about 71% of America, based on the DISC uh, personality profile, would fall under the range of drifters. They just, they're just chill. They're just floating. They're on some kind of raft, some kind of uh, noodle, or, um, you know, I don't know, piece of wreckage. Don't let go, Jack. Uh, you're like, you're just... I don't know. You're just drifting. I mean, you're just like, you're just drifting. And, and you're just, you're floating. You're not, you don't, you, you, you don't have an oar. You don't have a rudder. You're just, you're, you're just floating on the sea of life. Like you're floating from, from one relationship to another relationship, from, uh, from one church to another church, uh, from one, you know, I mean, you're just kind of, um, drifters, drifters, the problem, the problem, the issue of the heart of the drifter. And this is what God says. Don't harden your heart because that's the issue. You got to check. You got to do, do a heart check. The issue of the 
drifter is the drifter's heart is driven. That's what the heart means, what you're driven by, what drives you, what motivates you. They're driven by avoiding difficulty. So they see a big wave come up and they're drift, they're floating and that wave pushes them away from the wave. And then this driving rain comes this way and it pushes them away from that. And the strong wind and swirling ocean starts swirling them. They're incredibly reliant on their, on, on their environment. For a drifter to experience peace, their environment, the water has to calm down. For a drifter to experience joy and fulfillment and something on the inside, the water has to calm down. They have a flotation device. They're not, they're not going under, uh, but they're not necessarily going anywhere, actually. They're, they're, they're aimlessly floating from one thing to another. And so some of us here are drifters today. And I want to I speak to the heart of the drifter and let you know that there's a promise of God for you. Like if you drifted in here today, that's awesome. If you were invited uh, here today by somebody who drifted in here last week, that's awesome. Uh, if, if you feel like maybe in your life, you don't really have much direction, that's great. You're welcome here. We welcome drifters. We are, we got a, we got a number of folks that just kind of chilling, tr- drifting from one major to another major, <laughs> drifting from one uh, thing to another. Just, just, just not really sure, not really decisive, no real direction. But God has a promise for you. God has a promise of, of direction for your life. That if you will, if you will, if you will obey, if you will soften your heart and allow God to change you, this is what I believe. I believe God has something on the other side of that wave. On the other side of difficulty, you have a marriage that you've never even seen before. And so, and so instead of drifting away from a marriage when things get rough, if you, if you face it, God can fix it. If you face the wave, if you face the difficulty, you don't know what kind of relationship can be on the other side of forgiveness. You don't know what kind of church experience can be on the other side of faithfulness. You don't know what kind of family can be on the other side of working through difficulty instead of running from difficulty. And so for you today, the step of obedience, the bridge of obedience might simply be a decision just to get your hand in the water, you know, like just to get, this is a baptism sermon. So just to get, just to get your hand, oh, that's warm. Uh, just to get your hand or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe your whole body in the water and start, start pushing, you know, like that's how you get direct that's how you get motivation in your life is you get pushing. Like even when the winds are coming against you, you keep pushing. Even when the enemy is coming against you, you keep pushing. Even when people are talking about you, you keep pushing. Because if you can push through the difficulty that's in front of you, the promise of God rests on the other side of your push. It rests on the other side of your obedience to work through what you've always run from. I'm preaching better than your amen right now. It must be, we must have a lot of drifters. We got a lot of y'all. This one doesn't apply to anybody in here. It's all the folks watching online who didn't drift out of bed this morning. They are, they are hearing it. Now, like it's, 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 it's serious because we, because we are so prone to just, to just float and just allow difficulty to, to determine our direction. And drifters, uh, drifters, God wants to give you an oar. God wants to give you a rudder. God wants to give you some push. God wants to give you some, something inside your spirit that says, I'm going to walk over this bridge of obedience and I'm going to receive because it's on the other side that you see how great God is. It's on the other side that you see how perfect God's plan is, how perfect his timing is. But if you never get to the other side, you're like, man, I just keep getting hit one side and I get hit on the other and I get hit. Yeah, God's trying to get you through something. And so he keeps bringing waves to you so that you can work your way through it. 
Anyway, uh, to the drifters today, Jesus loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, the other kind of folks that are here today would be uh, on the sea of life. You are the surfers. And uh, I don't mean like Jeff the surfer, but I mean like spiritually and, and, and emotionally, like you're, you're the surfers. So you, so you sit on the shore and you got your board and you, and you, you scan the horizon for the next wave. And you're, you're motivated, you're driven. You're driven though by desire because it's the thrill of the ride that you love. And so you sit there, and, and the great thing about surfers is they normally see waves before anybody else. Like, you know, I'll be sitting on the beach and the surfers will get going. I'm like, where are they going? They see a wave starting before it actually starts. And their purpose is to get out, get out, and it's difficult, man. You got some strong muscles. Surfers got some, some d d diligence. Like, they're the opposite of drifters, right? So surfers, man, they're, they're going after life, and they're going to tackle it, and they're going to they're gonna ride that wave, and they're going to break out there, and then they get on the wave, and they ride it. The problem is the wave always comes back inshore. And so... Surfers never go very far beyond their, their levels of comfort and familiarity. They never really, they never really get the binoculars and, and look out there and see what God might have for them beyond the breakers. What God, what, what people they might be able to help who are drowning out there. What, what lands they might be able to explore. And so for you today, the level of obedience for you is to, is to not just look to start something new, not just look for another fresh start, another big wave to ride on, and another emotional high, but to actually ask God, Lord, Lord, where, where do you want me to go? Because I keep going out and coming back and going out and coming back. And it's exciting and then it dies down. It's exciting and then it dies down. It's exciting and it dies down. I'm really good at starting things. But man, if you could actually, the path of obedience for you is to actually finish something, to actually go somewhere and help somebody and do something, to leave a mark in this world, to make an impact. You can, you can make money, you can make a name, or you can make a difference. I posted that on Facebook a while back, and I think it was, I think it was Willie who said, I want to make all three. And I said, all right. I said, all right. Start with the last one, you'll probably end up with the first one. You, you, go, you go to make a difference, and then somebody pays you for that, you make money, and then everybody hears about it, and you make a name. If you go to make a name for yourself first, you'll just make a bunch of weird videos on YouTube, and uh, it won't go over so well. But you got, you got to make a difference. So is to surf is to is to is to get this high, but beyond the high, there's this there's something out there in the deep for you. There's something that God has for you in the deep. There's a reason He's been conditioning you for your muscles. He needs your help to rescue some people that are drowning out there. And you'll never see them if you're always just looking for the waves. Not looking for the people, just looking for the waves, looking for the job opportunity, just looking for the just looking for that. But no man, you gotta look for the people. The people are out there. People are hurting, people are lost. There's more than just fun. There's more than just what you desire in the moment. Sometimes you do stuff you don't desire to get something you really do desire. Sometimes you, sometimes you do the hard work to go out there to really make a difference. And that's what I would challenge you uh, surfers today. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, the third group of people here today, and there's probably just a couple of you, would be the drowners. Um, all of us feel like we're drowning from time to time. I'm talking about the professional drowners. So with all love and, and grace that I can muster, um, there are professional drowners. There are people that are driven by um, dysfunction. They need, to, 
they need to have it. So they, they're driven by dysfunction. They don't want a raft. You toss them a raft or a noodle or a flotation device, they're not interested in that. Because to them, the challenge is to just push water away and try to keep themselves afloat. Really, it's a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a self-made kind of mentality. Like, I don't need your raft. I don't need your float, floaty. I don't need nothing on my arm. I, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just swim out here on my own. Everything is good. But what happens is they get tired. They get tired of constantly pushing away the negativity, constantly pushing away the bad thoughts, constantly pushing away the selfishness, constantly put, they get tired. And after a while, their arms start, start getting weak and their legs start getting weak and they start going under. And it seems like with, 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 with professional drowners, if you're a professional drowner today, we welcome you to City Chapel. We have some, some drowners here who have learned to be swimmers. Like, like there's, there's something inside of you that, that is drawn toward this dysfunction. And that's because God wants you to actually fix dysfunction in yourself and in others. So it's, there's, there's, there's a reason why you're so driven to swim on your own. Because God's going to use that determination and that ability. But meantime, you have to learn, you have to learn how, to, how to stay afloat yourself. And none of us can do it alone. The problem with drowners is they're always alone. Because if there's one thing people tell you about drowners is you don't go out and rescue them or they'll pull you down with them. And quite frankly, people are just so tired of you grabbing them by the ankle and yanking them under with you in your drama that they've learned to stay away. And they've learned, okay, for instance, there was a professional drowner in the Bible. His name was Jonah. He was a prophet of God, a good guy, but a drowner. And God, God, God told him to go left and he would go right. God told him to go here. He would go there. He didn't want to obey God. He wanted to be a self-made prophet and do his own thing. And he got into a storm. Actually, the storm followed him. <laughs> Storms tend to follow professional drowners. They just, they just, it just goes with them. And you, think, and you think you left it when you left that relationship, but no, it's going with you. Your problems go with you. The storm follows you. And, and, and he's in the storm and, and his buddies toss him out of the boat and he's out there drowning while his buddies are in the boat. And this is what happens. Your buddies always end up going in the boat and just watching the show because they don't want to be a part of the drowning. And so they, they, they're in the boat and he's drowning. And my, my message to you today, if you're a drowner, if you feel like you're constantly going under, even after people give you a hand, even after people help you with your mortgage, even after people, if you're all of that, if you're still going under, my promise to you is you're not really alone. That people may have left you, people may be in the boat, but God has never left you. God has never left you. Even with Jonah, God never left him. Now, I do have to say, help doesn't always look like help. Because when God came to help Jonah, uh, the people in the boat looked over and they said, oh no, quick, somebody throw Jonah a line, help him out. Because when God came to help Jonah, it was in the form of this fin, this giant fin, da -dun, da -dun, swimming toward him. Jonah turns and he sees this massive whale or fish or shark or whatever, open its jaws and swallow him whole. It's like I said, Jesus will never leave you. Sometimes he just swallows you up. Sometimes he just, and, 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 and what the, the truth is, the truth is that was Jonah's salvation. 
If you read, if, if you read from the book of Jonah, I don't, I don't have binoculars for you, you know, like the, like the surfers or like an oar, like for the, the, the other guys. But for you, I just, I just have a prayer. Like this is what you need. You don't need a prop. You need a prayer. And the prayer that Jonah prayed in uh, Jonah chapter two, when he got swallowed, he said, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, those who search for other options other than God, they forsake their own mercy. He said, look, I was, I was forsaking the very mercy. I was running away from the God that was going to give me mercy. I was forsaking that thing which would... And this is the, what he prayed when he was in the belly of the whale. I don't know. Um, some scholars believe he actually died in there, and then God resurrected him and spit him back up. But, but he's been in the belly of the whale, and he says, I was running away from my own mercy because I was just so determined to make it myself. No, man. Sometimes God needs to bring you under <laughs> to bring you up. Sometimes God needs, to, God needs to, to, to let you just finally get so tired that you surrender and say, you know what? I'm done trying to swim on my own. And when you do, you realize that it was not the arms of judgment that were after you. It was mercy. God was chasing you to show you mercy. The fourth kind of person here uh, is a few of you that would be navigators. You guys are uh, on the sea of life. You're, you're going somewhere. You got a career. You got goals. You got, you got things that you're doing. You're moving and shaking. Uh, you're an you're, you're entrepreneur. You're, you're making money. You're successful. You, 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 have, you, don't, you don't just have a raft. You have a boat. Like you've made a boat and you got a rudder and you got oars and you probably have a team with you rowing for you, you know, and you're directing them and you're moving things and, and you're, you're, you're going somewhere. And for you, you're driven by destinations. And I want to encourage you that whatever your rock is will be your destination because that's something that's unmovable. Don't fix your sight on anything other than Christ. Otherwise, everything else is moving. If you're out in the ocean, you're trying to go straight, good luck. That's why navigators figured out that they had to find the star patterns, the patterns of the stars. Watch Moana. And uh, they, that's, how they, that's how they knew where they're going. And Jesus is the bright and morning star. Jesus is the bright and morning star so that you see him, so that you keep an eye on him, so you know that you're actually getting progress. Because you can live your whole life chasing all kinds of destinations and really be going around in a circle. God wants you to act. Every move closer to Christ is a move toward progress. Every move away from Christ is a move away from progress. And God wants you to come closer to him. Would you bow your head and pray with me today? We're getting ready to baptize. Um, and if you would actually, if God's calling you to be baptized, I know we have Stephanie who's going to be baptized, but if God's calling you to be baptized, we're ready for you. We have a change of shirts. We have change, changes of clothes, multiple sizes. I mean, we just want to be ready to enable you to be obedient, to obey today. Not to put it off for a better day, but to obey today. That's something, uh, the water is actually warm. The other day I was talking to Matt and Micah, my kids, and um, it was after the bombing. The bomber was caught and died, and, and Madden asked the question, she said, well, will there be another bomber? And... Uh, I said, well, you know, the Bible says things are going to be pretty bad. And honestly, it just, yeah, probably, probably somewhere, somehow, there'll be another bomber. There'll probably be another shooter. There'll probably be another nuclear weapon, God forbid, but who knows? 
I mean, there's a lot of bad people in the world that might, things might happen. I said, but that's why, honey, that's why we have to tell people about Jesus so they can accept him into their heart and change. So bombers can change. Bombers don't have to be bombers. And murderers don't have to be murderers. And haters don't have to be haters. And bigots don't have to be bigots. They can, they can change. God can do something in them. I said, but, but for us, we have to be ready. We have to be ready to die at any moment, to go to heaven. And Madden, Madden she's nine years old. She said, I'm ready. I, I've made Jesus the boss of my life, and I've been baptized. <laughs> And this is early in the morning. I'm, I was back in the pantry helping my younger son pick out uh, his breakfast cereal, cereal bar. And uh, Madden said, but Micah hasn't been baptized. And uh, Micah just looked at me kind of, you know, like, should I be afraid? And, uh, and I looked down, My, Micah's six, uh, he's about to be seven. And I said, Micah's not quite ready yet. Whenever God speaks to Micah, Micah will be ready to be baptized. And Micah said, yeah, last time the water was too cold. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I said, case in point, if, you, if you're afraid of the temperature of the water, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. But I think some of us are ready. I think some of us are ready to take that step. And we're, and we don't even, I, it's funny, you get to be an adult and suddenly you get all these, you get too smart. And we ought to just go back to being nine years old and say, man, I've been, I've made Jesus the boss of my life and I've been baptized. I'm ready I'm ready. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of what's beyond that because I'm ready. So Lord, we come before you today and I just pray, Lord, that everybody here would be ready. Everybody here would, would take the same step that Madden has taken. They would just choose to, to follow you, to make you the boss of their life, the, the Lord of their life, that we would bend our knee, as David said. We would bend our knee before you submit to you, soften our heart. Lord, whether we're drifters, navigators, surfers, drowners, we all need to change. We all, we all need to step across that bridge of obedience and, and become followers of you. We all need to find that star, the bright morning star out there. We all need to, to find what you're calling us to do somewhere beyond the difficulty. We all need to submit to you and trust you. So, Lord, we make a decision to do that today. If you'd like to receive Jesus into your heart and just pray that prayer today, would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I need to start this journey with him. I need to start following him. That's, that's awesome. And this is just one, this is one start. After this, man, we need to take the step, the next step. But, Lord, right now in this, in this beginning step, we just call out to you. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. Whoever repents of their sins would be forgiven. And so, Lord, we do. We repent of our sins. We, we, we don't just apologize for them, but we turn. We choose to turn from them today. We choose to leave them behind, our old life behind. We put our faith in Jesus. His blood is enough to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, prepare us to walk this new life. So we trust in you today. The blood, the finished, the finished blood of Jesus, that it was shed for us one time, and that's all that it needed to do. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for newness of life today. People going down into the water and being brought back up as a symbolism 
of a work that you're doing in our hearts and a decision that we made personally. We made this decision and we're ready. We're ready to follow you. We found the star. We're ready to go after it. In Jesus' name, amen.